dismiss the kids this morning to Kids Church. Don't leave Lachlan, Nick. If you have your Bibles this morning, I encourage you to open up to the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 6. We are moving very, very quickly through 1 Samuel. It took us, by this time, uh, last time, to, in order to get to Matthew 6, it took us almost a year. Uh, we are now in 1 Samuel chapter 6, and we've only been in Samuel for about four or five weeks, so uh, we are moving at breakneck speed. 1 Samuel chapter 6. Uh, I'm going to preach this morning about the entire passage of chapter 6, uh, 1 through 21, uh, but for the sake of brevity, I'm going only to read uh, a handful of verses. I'm going to read verse 1 through 6 and then verses 19, 19 through 20. But the content of my message will focus on uh, or will encapsulate all of chapter 6. So uh, whenever you go home this afternoon uh, or uh, during the rest of my rambling, you can, you can uh, browse over uh, the full chapter because uh, that's what I'm going to be preaching on, but I'm going to read only a portion of it uh, this morning. So, 1 Samuel chapter 6, we're going to read verses 1 through 6, and then verses 19 through 20. Now, the ark of the Lord had been in the country of the Philistines seven months. And the Philistines called for the priests and the diviners, saying, What shall we do with the ark of the Lord? Tell us how we shall send it to its place. And they said, if you send away the ark, of the, God, the ark of the God of Israel, do not send it empty, but you shall surely return to him a guilt offering, and then you shall be healed, and it shall be known to you by his, why his hand has not been removed from you. And they said, what shall be a guilt offering which we shall return for him? And they said, five golden tumors and five golden mice, according to the number of the lords of the Philistines, for one plague was on all of you and on all of your lords. And so you shall make a likeness of your tumors, a likeness of your mice that ravage your land, and, that shall, and you shall give glory to the God of Israel. Perhaps he will ease his hand from you, from your gods, and from your land. Why then do you harden your hearts as Egyptians and Pharaoh hardened their hearts? When he had severely, when he had severely dealt with them, did they not allow the people to go, and they departed? Skip down to verse 19 through 20. This is after the ark of the Lord has returned to Israel. And he struck down some of the men of Beth Shemesh, because they had looked into the ark of the Lord. He struck down all of the people, 50,070 men, and the people mourned because the Lord had struck the people with a great slaughter. And the men of Beth Shemesh said, Who is able to stand before the Lord? this holy God, and to whom shall he go up from us? Let's pray. God, as we read this passage, Lord, may we make sense of what you have done in the land of Israel. May we make sense of what you have done to both the Philistines and to your covenant people. God, may we see in this passage, may we see ourselves whether we be the idolatrous Philistines or the complacent Israelites, Lord, may we see ourselves and may we respond with repentance. For it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, I pray that whenever we leave today, 
that we will recognize that God and God alone is holy. And not only that He is holy, but that He is holy, holy, holy. God will reveal Himself and reveals His character to us, not only through His Word, but also through providential circumstances in our lives. Now, many people will come to me and they'll say, how do I discern God's will for my life? How do I know what God wants me to do? And the first question I ask, and the first thing I point them to is God's Word, because He has revealed Himself to us through His Word. We ask, people ask me all the time, I, I, I just pray and I pray and I pray and, and, and God doesn't seem to speak to me. And then I ask them the very next question, well, have you been reading God's Word? Have you been reading your Bible? And they say, well, well, no, but I've been praying. And I say, well, God desires to speak first and foremost through His Word. This is God's revealed will, God's revealed way in which He desires to speak to His people. But this is not the only way that God speaks to His people. God speaks to his people through providential circumstances in our lives. God speaks to his people through other believers in our lives. God will speak to his people often through means that are unorthodox if we refuse to hear. In fact, we see in the scripture how God spoke to the Philistines through a cow. You say, well, where are you getting that from? I'm getting that from the verses that I didn't read. Let me, let me, let me unpack the story for you. So, so. They took the Ark of the Covenant. Uh, they took the Ark of the Covenant into into uh, Philistia, and they brought it uh, to Ekron. I'm sorry. Uh, they brought it to uh, to the city of the Philistines, and they brought it to three or four different cities. All uh, all told, they brought them to five different cities. And after the first two cities, after the Ark of the Covenant inhabited those first two cities, and everybody started getting struck with with tumors and started dying, they said, "We don't want the Ark of the Covenant here." In, in, in our city. And so they, they, they banned it. They pushed it out. They said, we're not going to allow you to bring the Ark of the Covenant here. So after seven months of them trying to figure out what to do with the Ark of the Covenant, they, they get all of their elders, all of their sorcerers, all of their witch doctors together, and they say, what are we going to do? And they said, we're going to send it back from where it came from. And they said, but how are we going to do this? And so they said, well, we're going, since there are five lords, five major cities in Philistia, we are going to, to offer with it five golden offerings in the shape of a tumor. Uh, uh, they got real creative there. They said, we're going to, to melt down a bunch of gold and we're going to put it in the shape of a tumor. And then we're going to put it in the And then we're going to send mice with it as well. Golden mice in the shape of a, in the shape of a mouse. We're going to send it back. There are many scholars who believe that the reason that they sent the mice back were because that they believed the mice were the, uh, the carriers of the plague, of the disease that, that inflicted the tumors upon the Israelites. And so we're going to, I'm sorry, upon the uh, Philistines. So not only are we going to send uh, golden tumors, but we're going to send golden mice. And they say, okay, but, but, but how are we going to get it there? They say, this is how we're going to know whether or not it is the Lord who has indeed afflicted us or whether or not this was just, just circumstantial, whether or not this was just coincidence. We're going to take two cows that are still nursing their calves and we're going to tie the cart that's carrying the Ark of the Covenant and the tumors and the mice and we're going we're to tie them to these two cows and we're going to point them in the direction of Israel and we're going to say, go. And if they go to Israel, then we will know that they are being directed by God, that they are being directed by Yahweh because a, a, a mother cow that is nursing its calf naturally is not going to leave its calf. 
And for all of us who grew up on a farm, you say, yeah, that, that's right. If a mother cow is nursing its calf, it's not going to leave that calf. If that calf needs its mother, the mother is going to instinctively, by nature, be drawn to that calf who is nursing. And so they tie up the cows, and they set the Ark of the Covenant on the cart, and they headed on its way. And the Scripture tells us, the Scripture tells us in verse 13, I'm sorry, verse 12, And the cows took the straight way in the direction of Beth Shemesh, and they went along the highway, lowing as they went. They did not turn aside to the right or to the left. And the lords of the Philistines followed them to the border of Beth Shemesh. So they followed, and they said, We want to make sure that these cows get this thing to where it's supposed to go so that we don't receive any more affliction upon us. It's interesting. God spoke through cows to the Philistines. Through the, through the circumstances that, that was going on, God spoke through these, through these cows to tell, to tell the Philistines that it was indeed the hand of God that had brought these afflictions upon them. And they responded, the Philistines responded with reverence and with action. It's interesting that the Philistines did not need a prophet to tell them that God is, is enacting and that God is the one who is behind these afflictions. They didn't need a, a prophet. They didn't need a priest. They didn't need the revealed word of God to tell them that, look, God is, is acting here. God is moving in your life. God is the one who is causing these afflictions upon them. They were able to discern the revealed, they were able to discern the will of God even without the revealed will of God. What's interesting is Israel has the word. The Ark of the Covenant represented God's presence. And because it represented God's presence, it struck, there was a time whenever the Ark of the Covenant struck fear into its enemies. And there was a time when the Ark of the Covenant struck fear into its covenant people. Remember the story back in 1 Samuel chapter 4? Whenever Israel walks into, uh, into the battle with the Philistines and they get, they get their behind handed to them. And what does Israel say? They say, we're going to go get the Ark of the Covenant and we're going to, to force God's hand. We're going to force God to go to battle for us. Because after all, whenever we took the Ark of the Covenant and marched around Jericho, the walls came tumbling down. Whenever we took the Ark of the Covenant and set it in the middle of the Jordan River, the Jordan River dried up. We are going to force God's hand. And so they took the Ark of the Covenant. And what was the Philistines' response? Woe to us. We know what happened when the Ark of the Covenant went before, uh, went before the people of God in Egypt. We heard of the plagues. We heard of the power that the God of Israel wields. And so they were frightened. But they went to battle and they slaughtered the Israelites. The fear of God had left the enemies of Israel. The fear of God had left Israel. What led that? What led to that? The immorality of Phineas and Hophni, the sons of Eli. The desecration of the holy office that God had set up. There was, there was idolatry and immorality going on in the tabernacle, in the very house of God, by the very people of God. I submit to you that, that the reason that the enemies of God had no fear of the Lord was because first and foremost, the people of God had no fear of the Lord. The Ark of the Covenant spent seven months in the land of Philistia. 
And once again, the fear of the Lord is restored to God's enemies. But the response from Israel is complacent indifference. So if you look at the text, we get to 19 and 20. And there's this wagon that's carrying this Ark of the Covenant. Now, imagine if you are there in Israel. You're there in Beth Shemesh, a small village on the outskirts of, of, of Jerusalem, and, and entering, into, entering into the city comes these cows carrying a cart, and on this cart is the Ark of the Covenant. What is your response? What is your response? Is your, your response is you are elated that this is the presence of God. There is, there is holy fear. There is, there is, we don't know what this means, but notice Israel's response. They run up to the cart. <clears throat> they run up to the cart, verse 15, and the Levites, the, uh, verse 14, the cart came into the field of Joshua, Beth Shemite, and stood there where there was a large stone, and they split the wood cart, and they cut up an offering, and they, they, they sacrificed to the Lord right there. And then the Levites took down the Ark of the Covenant, and the box, in which it was, the box that was with it, in which were the articles of gold and large stones, and they, they, they made an offering sacrifice right there. Verse 16. When the five lords of the Philistines saw this, they returned to Ekron that day. If you go down to verse 19, it says that that day, the Lord struck down some of the men of Beth Shemesh, because they looked into the ark of the Lord. Now, I want to point out to you that that Verse 19 is a very difficult passage for us to, to translate. There are many different, uh, many different schools of thought out there, uh, how this should be translated. Uh, but most scholars, believe, most scholars believe that it was not the act of looking into the ark that caused God's judgment to fall upon Israel, but rather to look at the ark or to gaze upon the ark, which caused God to destroy the people of Israel. And where do we get this from? Go back, if, if you look, the Lord gives us very specific ways in which His presence, His ark should be dealt with. In Numbers chapter 4, in Numbers chapter 4, God gives us very specific ways in which His people are to deal with the ark of the covenant. In Numbers chapter 4, verse 20, it says, They shall not go in to see it, they shall not go in to see the holy objects, even for a moment, lest they die. If you go back and you read all of chapter 4, it gives them very specific instructions on how they are to, to cover the ark, how they are to cover the table of showbread, how they are to cover the, the, the menorah, the, the candle, how they are to cover uh, the mercy seat, how they are to, to carry and transport the ark of the covenant. And all of it should be covered. And it wasn't to be covered uh, for any other reason than to, to promote a holy reverence and a fear of the Lord and for the protection of God's people. God's people had God's Word. The Levites, the people who are receiving the Ark of the Covenant, know this. They know the, the instructions in Numbers chapter 4. And so when they approach the Ark of the Covenant, and then when they deal with it haphazardly, and whenever they deal with it 
uh, casually and complacently. They are in direct opposition to what they know to be true. You say, well, preacher, how come whenever the Philistines were, were carrying this ark from city to city to city to city, that they weren't destroyed every time they looked at it? Because God has a different standard for His people. The Philistines did not have God's Word. They did not have Numbers chapter 4. They were not of the tribe of Levi. They were not given specific instructions on how to care for and how to deal with the Ark of the Covenant. God's people were. The numbers, the, the, in the book of Numbers, the Levites were given very specific instructions on how they are to handle the Ark of the Covenant. Church, that doesn't change today. God's people are given a specific set of instructions on how they are to conduct themselves, on how they are to live, because God has a different standard for His people than He does for the people of the world. You say, well, preacher, that's just old-fashioned. Nobody does that anymore. God has a different standard for His people. You know, we have... My kids have friends over to the house all the time. And my wife and I fuss. We say, anytime the kids have friends over, they do things that they would never do whenever their friends aren't over. Has anybody ha- experienced that? You know, they're, 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 their children have friends over, and all of a sudden, they lose their mind. I, it's like, w- w- what happened? Well, not, not too, too long ago, we, we have some friends over, and their kids are over, and... And we go into the back of the house, and all the kids are jumping on the bed. And they're just, they're just jumping on the bed. And they're treating the bed like a trampoline, and the, the, the room looks like a tornado's been in there. And, and I calmly call my child over, and I say, what are you doing? Have you lost your cotton picking? My, what is going on? And they said, well, well, so-and-so gets to jump on their bed at their house. So we're not at their house. We're not jumping on the bed. You know better than jumping on the bed. Whenever friends come over, all of a sudden, I find Pop-Tarts in the bedroom. We don't eat in the back of the house. Why are Pop-Tarts in the bedroom? Why is there, why is there, an, empty, or why is there an empty Coke can in the bathroom? Why? We don't eat and drink in the back of the house. Well, they can eat and drink in the back of there. This isn't their house. We have different expectations for our children, don't we? What does mom always say? If everybody jumps off the Mississippi River Bridge, are you going to jump off the Mississippi River Bridge? You know, that was, that, was, that was the famous argument to get your way, right? Whenever, whenever mom wouldn't let you go out or mom wouldn't let you do something, you say, but everybody else is doing it. And you say, I don't care if everybody else is doing it. You're not. I'm not everybody else's mom. I'm not everybody else's dad. I'm your mom. I'm your dad. We have different expectations for our children. Why do we think that God is any different? He has different expectations for those who claim to be part of his part of his covenant people. God told the Israelites, this is how you handle the Ark of the Covenant. If you don't handle the Ark of the Covenant like this, you're going to die. He didn't tell the Philistines that. He told his people that. You said, well, that's Old Testament, preacher. So glad you brought that up. Go to 1 Peter chapter 2. 
First Peter chapter 2, Peter, as he is about to be killed by the emperor Nero, writes this epistle, writes this letter to the church that is scattered throughout Asia Minor, experiencing persecution amidst the Roman Empire. And he says this, he says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. That word holy literally means a other nation, a nation of otherness. A people for God's own possession that you may proclaim His excellence, the excellencies of Him who has called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. For you were once not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Look, Listen to verse 11. We stop at verse 10, but verse 11 speaks volumes. He says, Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts with wage war against your soul. Why? Because you are a holy nation, because you have been called out, because God has different expectations for His people than He does for those that are in the world. God has different expectations for His children. And although the rest of the world may be living together, and although the rest of the world may be having sex before marriage, and although the rest of the world may think that there's nothing wrong with marijuana, and although the rest of the world may think that it's okay to go out and party with your friends when you're young, God has a different expectation on His people because we are called to be holy. You get a lot of amens on that one. We are called to be different. There's a different expectation for His people. God's people have a different standards. I want to point out to you the character of our God. Go with me, if you will, to Isaiah chapter 6. God, by His very nature, by His very character, is holy. In Isaiah chapter 6, we read, In the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, lofty and exalted, with the train, of his, the train of his robe filling the temple. Seraphim stood above him, each having six wings. With two he covered his face, two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another, saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of of his glory. As these angels are encircling the throne of God, they're crying out and they're saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And I want to point out something to you in the language that you miss. In the English language, we have something called superlatives. If something is good, something is better, something is best, something is fast, something is faster, something is fastest. In the English and the Hebrew language, they don't have superlatives, they use repetition to achieve that. So if something is holy, it is holy. Something is holy, holy, it is holier than the holy thing. If something is holy, 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 it is the holiest of all things. When the seraphim, when the angels are are circling the throne of God, they are crying out, holy, 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 saying, God, you are the holiest thing that there ever was, and anything that was holy or is holy or is holier, you are holier than that. Because you are completely holy other there is an otherness to god that is his very nature in the book of revelation it tells us that at the end of days 
that the four creatures and the, the, the tribes are going to surround the throne of God and they are going to forever and ever sing one song and this is what it's going to be. Psalm, uh, Revelation chapter 4, verse, verse 8. And the four living creatures, each one of them having six wings, full of eyes around within, full of eyes around and within, and day and night, they do not cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was, who is, and who is to come. Over and over and over again in God's Word, we see this proclamation of God's character, of God's nature, that He is holy. And in order for us as people to commune with this holy God, we must be holy. That's why He gave Israel such such strict commands regarding communion with Him. Whenever you come and make sacrifices, you've got to wash yourself seven times. And then after you get done washing yourself, you've got to put on clean clothes and you've got to do this and you've got to do that in order to, to approach my altar. It wasn't because God is mean and God is, is, is ugly and that God, God wants to, to put barriers. It is because God wants to protect His people because He knows He is holy. I want to point out in 1 Samuel, Israel doesn't violate God's holiness by some active act of idolatry. If you go back to 1 Samuel chapter 6, it says, And he struck down some of the men of Beth Shemesh because they looked into the Ark of the Covenant. The verb literally means to gaze at or to fix your eyes upon. All they did was look at it. It wasn't some idolatrous act. They didn't... They didn't cut up the Ark of the Covenant and form it into some other idolatrous idol. They didn't, they didn't melt the gold that was overlaying it and form it into a golden calf. It wasn't some, some active act of idolatry. What was it? Israel violated God's holiness because of their complacency and their indifference to God's Word. And I believe that in the church today, we have done that exact same thing. We treat God as if if there is a, a casualness to God. We approach God not with fear and reverence and awe, but we approach God like many of these bumper stickers say. Jesus is my homeboy. God is my co pilot. That's how we view God. And what what we have done in America, we come to church, and and please, please don't read into anything that I'm about to say, and don't say the preacher's picking on me. We come to church in flip-flops and shorts, and we approach God with a casualness, and what we do is we mistake casualness for intimacy. And we say, because I can come and come as I am, because I can wear my t-shirt and my shorts and my flip-flops, because I can come as I am, because I can come just, just, just as I am, and I can be casual with God, we confuse casualness with intimacy. 
And we do the very same thing that the Israelites did when the Ark of the Covenant returned, is that we approach God with casual indifference. It's awful quiet in here this morning. I remember watching The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. One of my favorite lines in the whole movie is at the very end of The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe when, when they go looking for the lion. And we're told, he's not a tame lion. I believe because, because we have the luxury of approaching the God of grace, because we have the luxury of approaching the Creator of the universe through the shed blood of Jesus, that we confuse casualness with intimacy. Yes, we can approach Him, but we can approach Him not because there's anything we have done, but because of what Jesus has done. Because Jesus has achieved holiness for us, and because Jesus has achieved holiness for us, we can approach the throne of God, the Creator of the universe, the God who smote people just for looking at the Ark of the Covenant. And we confuse that and we say, oh, well, well, God must love me more than He loved the Israelites because after all, I can approach God and I can come to Him as I am. He's not a tame lion, church. He is a holy God. Scripture tells us in Proverbs chapter 9, it tells us the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 27, it tells us the fear of the Lord is the fountain of life, that one may avoid the snares of death. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 4, it tells us the reward of humility and the fear of the Lord are riches, honor, and life. All throughout Scripture, we see the fear of the Lord bringing blessings. You know, my dad was alive. My dad was quite possibly one of the scariest men you'll ever want to meet in your entire life. For those of you who didn't have the luxury of, of knowing him and meeting him, uh, he, was, he was bigger than life. But whenever we were little growing up, I would always invite my friends, hey, you want to come spend the night? I, 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 don't, know, I don't know why children have an, an affinity for inviting people to spend the night at their house, but they do. For some reason, playing together for 12 hours isn't enough. We need to sleep, sleep together as well. But whatever, whatever the reason, we'd, I'd invite my friends. And the, they would ask me one question every time. The first question they would ask is, is your dad going to be home? Because <laughs> my friends were scared to death of my dad. And, and rightfully so. He was big, he was ugly, he was mean. They, they, they should have been afraid of him. They had seen him spank me so hard that they cried. They, they, they should have been afraid of my dad. But he was my dad. And as, as afraid of my friend, as afraid of my dad as my friends were, there was a different relationship that he and I had. And I know that even... After a whipping. I didn't get spankings, I got whippings. And even after a whipping, I could go to my dad. I could crawl up in his lap. And I knew that he loved me. 
fear, a holy reverent fear, is, does not promote distance. It promotes intimacy. We can have an intimate relationship with the creator of the universe. But not because Jesus is my homeboy. But we can have an intimate relationship with the creator of the universe, with the God who spoke the world into existence, the same God who destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah for their idolatry, the same God who destroyed all of Baal and, and, and all of the, the prophets of Baal, the same God who destroyed all of the city of Jericho, the same God who caused Lot's wife to turn into a pillar of salt, the same God who rained down hail and destroyed all of the inhabitants of the land of, uh, of the promised land, the same God who, who sent plague after plague after plague, the same God who sent the death angel into Egypt and killed all of the firstborn. We can have an intimate relationship with this God, with this God of great power and great might and great holiness. And we can have an intimate relationship with Him, not because of who we are, or anything that we have done, but because Jesus has achieved holiness for us. And we can have an intimate relationship through Jesus, and we can refer to God as Abba. Go with me, if you will, to the book of Romans. Just because God is holy does not mean that we can't relate to Him. The book of Romans, chapter 8, verse 15. Paul writes this. He says, You have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoptions as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. Paul writes it another way in Galatians. Galatians chapter 4, he says it like this. He says, and because you are sons, God sent forth His Spirit, the Spirit of His sons, into our hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. The Hebrew Abba is akin to the English Daddy. It is that that intimate relationship that a son or that a child has with their father. That whenever they're they're skint their knees, or whenever they're, they're... woke up from a nightmare, that they crawl into Daddy's arms and they cry, Abba, and they say, Daddy, will you comfort me? There is that that intimacy there. And because of Christ, because of His death, His burial, and His resurrection, we can have an intimate relationship with God. But that does not in any way compromise God's holiness. In fact, it elevates God's holiness. God desires to commune with us. He desires to have a relationship with you. But the only way that we can have that relationship with God is through Jesus. It's not through a church. It's not through a set of rituals. It's not through getting wet in a baptistry. It's not through studying this book. It's through a relationship with Jesus. It's through the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. Let's pray. God, I thank you that your holiness is not compromised. 
I thank you that in your great wisdom, in your great grace, that you didn't compromise your holiness in order to commune with us, but that you gave us a way to commune with you while you were yet holy. And that is through Jesus. There are those here this morning who need a relationship with you. They know all about you. They know the stories. They may have even gotten wet in a baptistry. But this morning, you're speaking to their heart. And you are calling them to an intimate relationship with you. Through Jesus. God, your word tells us that Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no man can come to the Father but through me. And there are those here this morning who need to come to the Father through the shed blood of Jesus. If that's you this morning, I want to invite you to come in just a few moments. Maybe this morning the Holy Spirit convicted you on your complacency and indifference with which you approach God. Maybe you've been confusing casualness with intimacy. Whatever it is the Lord spoke to your heart this morning, may you respond with obedience. As we go into this time of invitation, Lord, may you have your freedom to move in hearts of your people. May you draw men and women unto yourself. Maybe God's calling you to be a part of what he's doing right here at Redeemer. Whatever it is the Lord is speaking to your heart, may you be obedient. We ask all these things in Jesus' name.